And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. We click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show to get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's the playoffs. It's a great day. It's my oldest son's birthday. He turns 10 today. It is the day. It is the day. Double digits. And it feels like we have double digit games today because you look at the schedule, it's so jam packed. It is so exciting. I love playoff basketball. It's finally here. Alex Spears, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. Oh boy, Andrew. Well, this week we wrapped up the regular season, playoff seeds were determined, and the postseason started. Last Friday night, we began with the Suns beating the Jazz 111 to 105 in Utah for the Suns. It was their 32nd road win of the season, going 32-9, a franchise record, and also the fifth best road record in NBA history. In fact, the Suns' record on the road was better than any other team's home record. The last team to do that? The 1969-70 New York Knicks, who won New York's first championship. A truly awesome season for the Suns. For the Jazz, not so much. In the fourth quarter of this game, the Jazz led the Suns at home by 17 points and lost. Now, do you think that sounds bad? What if I told you that the Jazz gave up a 16-point lead or greater in the fourth quarter in three of their final seven games? Oh, no. That's kind of wild. <laughs> On Saturday night, it was the return of John Morant to the Grizzlies lineup after a nine-game absence. Ja played 26 minutes and put up 21-4-9 in the 141-114 win over the Pelicans. The Grizzlies finished the regular season as the two-seed with 56 wins, which tied the franchise record set by the 2012-13 Grizzlies. The Grizz did break some records, however, and this is from the great Memphis blog Beale Street Bears. Jaron Jackson Jr. broke the Grizzlies' record for most blocks in a season. Pretty cool. Desmond Bain set the franchise record for most made threes. The Grizz won their first ever division title. Steven Adams set the franchise record for offensive rebounds. Jaw became the first Grizzly to ever score 50 in a game. And finally, and unfortunately for yours truly, the Grizzlies had the biggest margin of victory ever in an NBA game when they beat the Thunder by 73 points. <laughs> On Sunday night, it was the final night of the regular season. While many games had seeding implications, there weren't too many surprises. The biggest news to come out of the final day of the regular season was in a game against the Spurs, where Luka Doncic pushed off his left foot and came up limping. The diagnosis was a calf strain, and Luka has already been ruled out of Game 1 of the Mavericks' first-round series against the Jazz. 
It also wouldn't be the final day of the regular season without some unexpected scoring nights. Obi Toppin had 42. Victor Oladipo dropped 40. Patrick Williams had 35. Amir Coffey scored 35. And finally, Shake Milton had 30 in the Sixers' final game. On Monday, there were no games because on Tuesday, it was night one of the play-in tournament. In the first game, the Nets defeated the Cavs 115-108 to behind Kyrie's 34 points. It was a valiant effort from the Cavs, who were without Jared Allen, who was still recovering from a fractured middle finger. The Nets booked their ticket to a first-round series against the Boston Celtics with the win. In the second game, the Minnesota Timberwolves beat the Clippers 109-104 to in a wildly entertaining game. All-star Carl Anthony Towns only played 24 minutes in the game due to foul trouble and was largely ineffective due to the Clippers' defensive coverage. It didn't matter, though, because the Wolves got huge gains from D'Angelo Russell, who scored 29, and second-year star Anthony Edwards, who scored 30, including five three-pointers. We also have to mention Patrick Beverly, who made several key plays down the stretch for the Wolves and was the star of the post-game scene, jumping on the scorer's table and flinging his jersey into the crowd. <laughs> now, the post-game theatrics set off a firestorm of mockery, followed by an onslaught of shaming, the timeline torn apart, by Patrick Beverly memes and a flood of scolding unlike anything we've ever seen. And I still haven't even mentioned, Andrew, <coughs> that a woman tried to glue herself to the floor in protest but was quickly removed because she did not care to check the adhesive strength of her choice of glue. Every job has its glue. Every glue has its job. If you're going to glue yourself to the floor in the middle of a basketball game, you're going to want to prioritize dry time, okay? Why not go to SeniorCareToShare.com, a website for senior citizens that I found that randomly has a very long article on glue. Did you know that adding a sprinkling of baking soda to glue makes it dry faster by acting as an accelerator? Didn't Anyways, know. just just an all-around entertaining game that set up a delicious first-round matchup between the Wolves and the Grizzlies. On Wednesday, it was night two of the playing tournament. In the first game, the Atlanta Hawks dominated the Charlotte Hornets 132 to 103. This follows up Charlotte's experience in the play-in last season when they lost 144 to 117 to the Indiana Pacers. The Hawks move on while the Hornets, who did win 10 more games in last season, are sent into an offseason with major question marks surrounding Gordon Hayward's future in Charlotte and the price of Miles Bridges' upcoming contract. In the second game, the New Orleans Pelicans held off a late charge from the San Antonio Spurs to win 113-103. to C.J. McCollum scored 27 of his 32 points in the first half, while rookie Herb Jones helped to hold DeJounte Murray to 5 of 19 shooting in the game. On Thursday, another night of no games leading up to Friday night. We're recording on Friday night. It was the final night of the play-in tournament. In the first game, the Cleveland Cavaliers got up big on the Hawks in the first half, but then the second half started and it was all Trey Young. Trey scored 32 of his 38 points in the second half to bring the Hawks all the way back and clinch a first round matchup with the Heat. Now for the Cavs, it was a disappointing end of the season, but they are still our surprise team, vastly exceeding any expectations we had for them. In the second game, it was similarly wild. In the wild. first half, it was all Pelicans, led by Brandon Ingram, who scored 16 in the first quarter. But then the second half started. Ty Lue went small. Pelicans completely fell apart. Going into the fourth, it was a 10-point game after the Pelicans had previously led by double digits. The game looked lost. I turned it off in frustration <laughs> because I'm a Thunder fan. And if the Pelicans had lost that game, 
our pick would have been 15 instead of 12. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but in the moment it felt like a big deal. <laughs> but then everything changed. The Pelicans stormed back. They held on at the end to win 105 to 101. The Pelicans are back in the playoffs for the first time in several years, playing the Phoenix Suns with game one on Sunday. Andrew, what a week it was. Oh my goodness. Jam-packed. We had two bird nights this week. It's just it's just been just been a wonderful week of basketball and we're bracing ourselves for more. If you haven't listened to the Western Conference preview, go listen to the Nerder She Wrote podcast that dropped on Friday. And now we're going to preview the Eastern Conference playoffs, Al. We're going to start with the 1-8 matchup. It's the Miami Heat versus the Hawks. The Heat are favored. BetMGM has the Heat at minus 375 with Atlanta at plus 300. The key injuries for this series, and this is going to be kind of the biggest deal. PJ Tucker has a calf strain, but he will be ready to play game one. Bam Adebayo uh, is in COVID protocols, but he's expected to be ready for game one. And then you look at Atlanta. Clint Capella had a, he had a hyperextension in his knee that happened in the playing game. John Collins is dealing with foot and finger injuries, and then Lou Williams with a back injury. And also Bogdan Bogdanovich had been dealing with an injury but did play in the playing game, who should be good to go as well. Al, tell us what big questions you got for this series. Well, it's not the most exciting of questions, but it truly is the biggest question about the series. What is the status of Clint Capella and John Collins? Clint Capella was injured during this game tonight against the Cavs when Evan Mobley fell back into his right knee, resulting in a hyperextension. Woj reported there was initial optimism that there was no significant damage, but an MRI on Saturday will provide more information. Meanwhile, John Collins, he's played four games since February 11th and hasn't played at all since March 11th. He has a plantar fascial tear in his right foot and an injury to his right ring finger. Nate McMillan was asked about Collins after the Cavs game, and he said he would provide an update on Saturday. Why is all this a big deal? Well, those are two of their main front court guys, and it puts a ton of pressure on second-year player Onyeka Nkongwu. And that might be a problem, because as much as you and I love Onyeka Nkongwu and his upside for the future, per cleaning the glass, Nkongwu fouls on 6.1% of defensive plays, which is in the 10th percentile among bigs. As a comparison, Jared Allen, who is in the 100th percentile among bigs, only fouls on 2.1% of defensive plays. Mm -hmm. Now, when Okongwu is playing 20 minutes a game, not that not that big of a deal. But if he needs to play a majority of the center minutes against Miami, this could become a problem. Not only because it would further stress Atlanta's front court rotation if Okongwu did get into foul trouble, but also because Miami's pretty good at drawing fouls. Miami is one of only three teams with two players in the top 20 for free throws per game. Jimmy Butler ranks fourth, and Bam Adebayo ranks 17th. So, not knowing what's going on with Clint Capella, and the Clint Capella injury did not look good it, right. like when it happened. His knee bent away, it shouldn't. So, I mean, and we saw that happen last year with Giannis, yeah. and we thought, oh, wow, that looks like a terrible injury. Giannis isn't coming back. He came back and was fine, so who knows? The John Collins thing, we just have no idea. I mean, he hasn't played consistent basketball in months at this point. So it's hard to even assume that he'll be back. Like we don't we we haven't even been given a timetable there. So until we know about those two guys, it's really hard to sell yourself on Atlanta. Yeah, and the Heat 
they they live on attacking the paint and then spraying after shooters. And J- Jimmy Butler's could dominate this series without both of those guys in the middle. And you have this inexperienced center. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, to me, I was going to pick the heat in a pretty quick series anyways, but if you can't get Clint Capella and I mean, even in the first like two or three games, I I think this will be a a pretty simple series because like you got to count on Trey young. Who's gonna, he'll show up. Like, I have no doubts about the kind of series Trey Young is about to have. He's going to put up some big-time numbers because he has to. But then it's who else? Like, who provides the toughness? Who's going to help really try to shut down this Miami Heat team? And I I struggle to find answers for that. So let's move on now with the player with the most to gain or lose in this series. Now, I will admit it's hard to find a great choice in a 1-8 matchup because – you know, the players on the eighth seed, do they really have that much to lose? And the players on the one seed, do they have that much to gain outside of the obvious? You know, like you beat the eighth seed. Congratulations. So who did you have for this, Andrew? Player with the most to gain or lose? Al, I don't know that there really is a player that's going to gain or lose a whole lot from this. I guess it's Victor Oladipo, who has only played in eight games this season and continues to return from his quad rupture. It hasn't always looked great for Vic. But he's shown some big signs in the last few games. So against the Raptors, Oladipo put up 21 points on 11 shots. And then in the final game of the season against the Magic, Vic put up a 40-burger on 22 shots, 10 boards, 7 assists. So theoretically, if he could do something like this in the playoffs, there could be a lot to gain for Victor as far as getting his career back on track. Uh, if he can play well, I could see a team going out and signing him to even, even if he got like the full mid level from somebody like that would be a big deal for his career. Cause he, he seems like a guy who is destined for the minimum because of his injury history. But if the heat can make a run to like the Eastern conference finals or even to the NBA finals and Vic is like a, a key sixth man cog for them. Like I could see it. Uh, do I have to squint my eyes to see it? Yes, I do. But there's a there's a world where this happens. And the upside for the Heat is that, you know, of the options he's going to be compared with, he's probably the best two-way player of those options. Yeah, true. And so if he if he comes in and plays well, obviously it would give this, like you mentioned, this opportunity to showcase himself on a big stage. On the other hand, if he does come in and plays poorly, you could imagine a scenario where we just don't see him the rest of the playoffs because the Heat yeah. do have other options off of their bench. Mm-hmm. So that that would be like the thing that he has to lose in this scenario. But I do think it's an interesting situation for him because they could use him. I mean, they're they're a very deep team, but he does offer something that not everyone on that team offers them. So it, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I wonder if we see him like at all. Like, I don't necessarily know that he'll immediately be a part of the playoff rotation, but does Spolster to go to him at some point? Like if, mm-hmm. you know, if Atlanta's, Atlanta's pushing them in any way. Okay, what about the player most likely to have a game named after them, a la the P.J. Brown game? Which I actually went back and watched the uh, the highlights of that, Andrew. Did you see some mid-range jumpies? Well, it's just, I've built it up in my head so much. Like, I remember the game. So, because, yeah. like, when we think about this now, I'm thinking, like, of a guy scoring 30 points 
And I went uh-huh. back and watched the game, and I think he had like ten or something. It was just, <laughs> it was just like some very critical timing of his shots. It was, it was. Uh, I could see a Caleb Martin game happening in this series. Oh, a Caleb Martin game, okay. Which might be in the face of Victor Oladipo because he might be the guy getting fixed minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about to me with the Heat is that we have Max Struess is obviously a guy that could do this. Caleb Martin's a guy that could do this. Um, somebody that's going to come in and hit like five threes in a game right. and just swing the game. And I think Caleb Martin is a guy that is is primed to do something like this in, in this particular series. What about the best rivalry? So like with this category, we try to find like an individual, an interesting angle that, that might not be obvious. And even though these teams are in the same division, it doesn't feel like the Hawks and the Heat are like major rivals in the NBA. And unless I'm missing one, I can't think of like an obvious individual rivalry. I was looking, I was comparing, I, I did two browser windows, Andrew, the rosters yeah. side by side, going through one by one. Do they hate each other? Do they hate each other for some reason? <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't find one. So I'm kind of hoping that this has the potential to start a rivalry because we saw last year how Trey Young, he can create a rivalry out of nothing when he when he gets in the playoffs. I mean, I didn't really think about the Hawks and the Knicks before last year's playoffs. And now that is like a rivalry in my head solely because of Trey Young. So can Trey ignite a true rivalry between the Heat and the Hawks in the series? I think it's possible. And that and then going forward, that would be the rivalry. Yeah. Um I think that would be it, right? And I think that. You think I don't think Jimmy Butler's going to stand for any of the uh, high shushing that right exactly like the Heat he are a, they're a very good foil for Trey because they're like yeah. they're you know they're t- they're a tough team they're not going to put up with that so I I, th- yeah. I think there can be some interesting friction there okay yeah. so we've we've talked we're, you know this this series especially with with those injuries we don't feel like it has a ton of juice so what is your prediction Andrew for the first round series between the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. Heat and five. I think the I think Atlanta can get one in Atlanta. And I think that it to me it's it's uninteresting, partly just because of the injuries to their big men, like we discussed. But I think this Miami Heat team is is out to prove something. And they're older guys, they don't want to mess around with a long first round series. They know what's at stake, they know what's to come. And so I think that they're going to take care of business pretty quick. Yeah, if I knew both of those guys were healthy, or honestly, even if I just knew Clint Capella was healthy, I might go Heat and six, because I do really respect Trey Young in the playoffs. But with that uncertainty, I am with you, Heat and five. Respect the Hawks for one game based on what they did last year, but I can't go much further. All right, Andrew, now let's jump into the three-six series, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Chicago Bulls. Looking at the uh, bet MGM betting, Andrew, the Bucks are mm. minus eleven hundred, which means you have to bet eleven hundred dollars <laughs> to win a hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls are plus seven hundred, so if you're feeling good, there you have some, some money to be made. Uh, in terms of injuries, the big one, Lonzo Ball is out for the series and for the playoffs. Alex yeah. Caruso, he's back, but it's important to note that he does still have a sore back. He's still coming back from that broken wrist on his shooting hand. And then Zach Levine playing, but by his own admission, still isn't 100% due to that sore left knee. So, Andrew, for this series, what do you think is the big question? 
Well, my first question is, uh, we have some juicy series upcoming. Uh, what, what's the fruit that has the least amount of juice? I think that's what this series should be called. Whatever the oh, fruit wow. is that has the least amount of juice. Well, it'd probably be okay. a, dried, a dried fruit. A, dry, a variety, a dried fruit variety. Uh, so the prune, Maybe a, the prune a craisin. series. <laughs> a craisin? Yeah. I think I'll go with prune. Maybe a little bit bigger than a craisin, the prune series. Not a lot of juice to this one. Maybe a little bit. There's a little, maybe there's a little bit of juice within a prune. You can actually, you can make prune juice. I don't know. I don't want to get true. into that. Um, so we'll still, we'll call it a prune. Maybe there's some, maybe there's something here to give. Uh, so DeMar DeRozan, who are we going to see? Is is are we going to get the Demar Derozan MVP candidate that we saw this season, That'd where we nice. had we we essentially had like Demar Derozan Appreciation Month for yeah. a while, and it was great. Uh, but his playoff history is not so good, Al. Not so good. Forty two percent from the field, twenty three percent from three. From twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, Derozan played in forty playoff games. He scored less than fifteen points in ten of those. It's a quarter uh, of it makes them. me feel. Makes me feel way less confident. Uh, he was much better in, re- in his recent playoff appearance with the Spurs, but that was obvious. And it was a great bull season, but I just don't know, man. Like, I'm not feeling great. Uh, and then you factor in Drew Holiday, who is about as locked down as you can get on the perimeter. And in the two matchups with the Bucks, Holiday played. DeRozan scored 29 points on 30 shots and 21 points on 23 shots it is not it does not feel good because DeRozan to me is he's he's too he is like the factor we talk about x factors like he's the factor of this series can we get a great series out of DeMar DeRozan then then maybe the Bulls can can get two games is even if everything is great I think that we're talking about the Bulls getting two games instead of maybe one yeah, it's been so long. I mean, that that last appearance with the Spurs, that was back in 1819. So that was like three years ago. And yeah. it's been so long since those Raptors days when DeRozan's performance in the playoffs was like a major storyline. Like, what oh, is yeah. happening? Like, because those Raptors teams would look so good in the regular season, and then they just fall apart in the postseason. And I feel like we've kind of forgotten about that. But on the same hand, like, or on the other hand, uh, DeMar DeRozan, has, he's playing the best basketball of his life. So, mm-hmm. like, you're hoping that is going to transfer over into the playoffs, but you really do need to see it, and it's not the greatest matchup for that. Yeah. So, we'll yeah. see. Next, we want to move on to the player with the most to gain or lose. And I think you could make an argument that it is DeMar DeRozan, but I actually went with Vucevic. I went with Vooch. And why did I go okay. with Vooch? Well, that trade was the first major move that signaled the Bulls were going to push for the playoffs, that they were going to accelerate their timeline, and they paid a lot to do it. Paid Wendell Carter Jr., who's been great this year, the pick that became Franz Wagner, and a lightly protected 2023 first-round pick. That's a lot of assets to trade. Oh, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good when you say it out loud. It doesn't, especially in light of the fact that he just didn't have a great season. Like his scoring was down. He's only shooting 31% from three this season after shooting 38% last year with the Bulls. And before that, 40% with the Magic. The good news, though, if you are a Bulls fan, the last time the Magic made the playoffs, they actually played the Bucs in the first round. And Vooch put up a 35-14-4 in game one, which the Mm -hmm. Magic won. And he finished that series averaging 28-11-4 on 50-40-90 shooting. And why that's important is because if Chicago is going to make some noise in this series, 
I think it's going to have to come from beyond the three-point line. Chicago took the fewest three-point attempts per game of any team this season, 28.8 per game. Meanwhile, Milwaukee gives up the most three-point attempts per game at 40.6. Will the Bulls adjust? Will they shoot (laughs) more? And could someone like Vooch have just a big shooting series? Like in that Milwaukee series, Vooch took nine threes per game by himself. Like that's the type of shooter he has been in the past. So if he can jump in the time machine, go back to that magic version of Vooch, start draining some threes, like that would give me a little bit more hope for the Bulls stealing a couple games from the Bucks. And if it doesn't happen, I think you're, you're going to look back at that trade in a much more negative light. If we go all mm-hmm. this way, yes, the Bulls are back. Yes, they made the playoffs after this long drought. But then after you get, get swept or, or maybe you lose in five, like what's the conversation then? And I think people look back to that Vooch trade as kind of the turning point. Um, yeah. Okay. Because even even if even if they don't, even if they ended up with Wendell Carter and whoever at eight, you still feel like you could maybe get more in a trade at the end of the day. Right. Especially and, and throwing in like another first on top of that. I mean, in mm-hmm. retrospect, that was a pretty healthy trade offer. Now, Wendell Carter Mm -hmm. Jr. wasn't thought of that way necessarily at the time. He's obviously been much better with the Magic, but that was still a very healthy trade offer. Okay, what about the player most likely to have a game named after them, a la the P.J. Brown game? Who do you got for this? I'm going Wes Matthews. I feel like Wes Matthews is going to have a game where he hits five threes. Okay. And the the thing about this question for this particular series is, is that there's not? It's not going to matter. Like to me, this is going to be a quick <laughs> Andrew, series. Andrew. I'm sorry. This is going to be a quick series. No. I don't think there's necessarily. To me, there has squeeze to be a little juice. Punk. Squeeze a little juice. There's not. There's not enough juice in this prune to have a game like this. But I do think Wes Matthews uh, can have a game where he hits five threes. He's shooting his bow and arrow to the crowd. I think it'd be great. All right, for this series, the best rivalry. It's got to be Alex Caruso versus Grayson Allen. It does. It is. Yes. Grayson Allen broke Caruso's wrist a couple months ago. Grayson Allen never contacted Alex Caruso after the incident. So so there's bad blood, Andrew. Now, they have played each other. feeding the rivalry. Feeding the rivalry. They have played since Alex Caruso came back. Alex Caruso, by the way, that that wrist, as I mentioned earlier, on his shooting hand, he has not shot the ball well since coming back to the lineup. Will we see something with Grayson Allen? Probably. In fact, I almost thought of him for the P.J. Brown game, but that would be like a <laughs> negative thing. Like, what did Grayson Allen do in There's the Grayson Allen game? Antic. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, I, I think this is a fun little mini rivalry between two role players. You, you don't often get a good rivalry between two role players. So I'm going to yeah. savor this one. Yeah, that's true. And we haven't mentioned Patrick Williams, who's been good since he came back from injury. Not necessarily that there's a rivalry there, but for the Bulls, if there is hope, to me it's that he can have a big series because they they really need some sort of big forward that can move. And not that you're never going to stop Giannis, but without him, I mean, who's it going to be? You know, so it's 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 nice that they get him back for this series and at least try to figure out what you can build on from here with him as a part of this crew. All right, Andrew, so that leads us to our predictions. Have you talked yourself into the Bulls? 
Bucks and four. I think it's a big time sweeper. I'm also going Bucks and four. Dan Feldman of NBC Sports, he looked at every playoff team and how they've performed this season when the players will actually see in the playoffs have been on the court. None of the 20 playoff eligible teams had a worse net rating than Chicago. Yikes. It was it was bad. In fact, their net rating was below teams like the Wizards or the Lakers. So when you factor when you add that into the fact that they've been so bad against good teams this season, like historically bad against good teams yeah. this season, and how good I feel about the Bucks coming into this playoffs, where it seems like everyone's kind of getting healthy at the right time. Brooke Lopez is back, Pat Connaughton is back, we're feeling good about the Bucks. There, you know, people worry about the Bucks defense. I was reading Eric Names' um, like preview of this, and he's talking mm-hmm. about how the Bucks defense has only been like 14th this year. But if you actually look at the time when the big three have been on the court, Middleton, Giannis, and Drew, their defensive rating is like a 107, which would be good for fourth best in the league. So those guys yeah. are, you know, I feel like at this point, Coach Bud knows that he needs to play those guys a ton of minutes. And if they're playing a ton of minutes, I have no worries about their defense. And in that case, I just don't see what the weakness is with the Bucks in this series. Yeah, they don't have injuries coming to it. You got a, a a hobbled Zach Levine, a hobbled Caruso. I think it's just going to be a, a rough one for the Bulls. So, uh, but yeah, but the, uh, but, but, the right. but the Bulls are oh, still back. Oh, oh, They're still back, Andrew. The Bulls are still They're back. back. They're back. Still in had the a playoffs. great season. They did, and perhaps something that they can build on moving forward. They get Zach Levine to sign that big fat contract and maybe they can add some pieces around or get Lonzo back. It's not, it's not all lost there in Chicago. Uh, okay. Al right after this break, we're going to talk to Tass Mellis of no dunks about the Toronto Raptors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Al, we're going to start breaking down this 76ers Raptors series 4-5 in the East. The Sixers are favored, minus 200. And the best person to break down this Raptors squad is my guy, Tass Mellis of No Dunks. He is with us on the Saturday Slam Jam. Tass, what's up? What's going on, fellas? Thank you for having me on. So excited to have you on. So excited for this series. Uh, yes. Uh, this, is, this has got to be the juiciest series, right? So much juice. It's a lot of juice. I think the Nets Celtics is juicy too. Really? Do you think it's juicier? (laughs) 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 No. Uh, Well, I just feel like the Raptors faithful and the 
Maybe it's because of who I follow. I just there's there's too many people taking the Raptors right now, and I'm getting yeah. a little bit worried mm. because the, yeah. I, I also I'm picking against the Sixers. Sorry, spoiler alert. I'm also picking against the Nuggets, and that just feels like the top two MVP voters are going to lose in the first round. I, they, most likely, yeah. the guys who get the most their top two MVP votes are going to go in the first round. It doesn't feel right, and. I think the Warriors are winning. So now I'm just worried. I'm just worried about <laughs> what's going to happen with the Sixers team because Joel Embiid is – he is the best player in the series. Uh, but uh, it feels like everyone's taking him. Everyone's taking Toronto. Well, the Raptors have played Philadelphia well this season. They won three out of the four matchups. Uh, what do you think are some of the main reasons for Toronto's success against Philly? Well, they can take away James Harden. Uh, I, I yeah. think that's they they have first of all they they just are gonna throw so many different defenses against Joel Embiid. Uh, they have nobody over six nine that can guard him, but uh, they're gonna sh- throw three of those guys at him at once. Uh, they they're they're gonna be ready to pounce on the double. They're gonna be ready to pounce on the bounce as soon as Joel Embiid puts it down. There's just there's there's gonna have. Fly, guys flying at him from all directions, and so then that brings me to my, you know, my the initial thing I said about James Harden. They literally have four starters that can guard him decently, and in their last matchup, he just looked sped up. He looked like uh, the 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 length really bothered him when they had either Scotty Barnes on him or Pascal Siakam on him or OG Ananobi on him. And so those those three or OG didn't play that last game, but those three lengthy guys can really bother him. And it's they seem to have found the perfect balance of arms back, but stay in front and backpedal and, and just make him sort of a look like an average score. So if if he isn't, you know, if he isn't great, um, there's other worries on the Sixers, but that's the best recipe for success. Just throw so many bodies at him, be to you know get him thinking and he did credit Nick Nurse uh, for what they did to him in 2019. He said that has made him such a better basketball player and that's got me scared. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they they do have, they got Nurse, they got great defenders and they'll speed up hard. And so that, that's, and, th- and then, and then, you know, trickling down, that makes Pascal Siakam the second best player in this series. And, and that mm-hmm. makes, uh, the Raptors pretty solid across the board. So as good as this matchup looks right now for Toronto, there are still some concerns. So like the Raptors have the fifth worst half-court offense in the league this season. Mm. Fred Van Vliet has been managing a knee injury since February, and he's shot terribly since the All-Star break. And the Raptors, just as a team, are a bottom 10 three-point shooting team. What is your biggest concern from the Raptors' perspective heading into this series? Yes, yeah, so... I think, man, this is all wishful thinking on my part. I think the <laughs> offense is going to be all right for some strange reason. OG Ananobi not being around as a part of why their three-point shooting uh, was not all that great. Fred's knee, definitely a worry. Uh, but I, I, I've i watched Pascal Siakam set up guys the last few months. And, and uh, I think if they're you know, pretty close to healthy. If Fred's pretty close to healthy, if OG's pretty close to healthy, and I think they are, I think the offense will be fine. I think the defense actually, with all the focus on Embiid and Harden, is a little bit worrisome because Tyrese Maxey could be the spark plug to 
light it all aflame for the Raps. I think you know if you're focusing on James Harden and he wants to pass off, uh, I think Tyrese Maxey could benefit from that a lot if they're focusing on a Harden and Embiid. So I think that's my biggest worry. Maxey straight line drives to the rim, and that could be the the recipe for disaster. I, you bring up some real worries on the offensive end for the Raps, um, but I just I have so much faith. I think this is this Pascal Siakam that we've seen uh, is ready for a playoff run that we haven't seen before from him. He's going to be really, really, really good. And uh, that kind of throws some of those half-court offense numbers and three-point shooting numbers. Yeah. Eh, it kind of throws them out. But uh, I believe I believe in OG and Fred uh, stepping up beside him. Mm-hmm. So when everyone's been healthy this season, Nick Nurse has started Fred, Gary, Pascal, OG, Scotty. In your opinion, what's your opinion on the who the Raptors should start against the Sixers, assuming everyone's there? So should they change it up? Should they try to start somebody a little bit bigger or should they right. just stay true to themselves? Yeah, that's a great question <laughs> because, yeah, what are they doing with Embiid? Yeah, some chatter about Precious Achua coming into the starting lineup. The question is who sits down? Uh, I, I don't think you sit any of those guys. I, I, I'm comfortable going with three, six, nine guys flying around Joel Embiid. And that is, uh, I think that's their best lineup. And, and then you don't get into a whole... Uh, worry about you know Precious Achua shooting a little too much uh, on the offensive end. I, I think yeah. that's their best lineup, and they do have a lot of guys rotating in. I mentioned the number of guys that can guard Harden. It's sort of the same for Embiid with help, uh, obviously, but whether it's you know OG being the main guy uh, plus Precious Achua plus Chris Boucher, I mean, it's going to be a, a gang thing, but yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I'm worried, as you can tell by my size. <laughs> uh, but um, I, 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 I think it kind of it helps out a defense sometimes when you know you're not guarding a guy one on one. It yeah. gets you, you know, into it. It gets it gets everybody moving. It gets everybody going. So I would start with those six nine guys, Fred, Gary, and the six niners, and then uh, go from there. All right, a fun one now. Which Raptors role player do you think is most likely to have a game named after them, a mm. la the P.J. Brown game? Oh, I think it's Chris Boucher. A Bo- yeah. We could have a Boucher game. Yes. Ooh, Boucher. Wow. Yes. Boucher, moi. Uh, boo- <laughs> Boucher, Boucher, avec moi ce soir that didn't really work but uh you know he's got a good name he's got a good name to work with uh he lets it rip uh from the three-point line he's not shy yeah. and the shots have been falling and so uh, I, don't, I don't know i don't know if that's a recipe for success uh but you know for one game yeah 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 it could be it could be uh i guess that would be my pick i am uh, I kind of Watanabe go in a different direction. That was okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, there were, uh, you know, Ken Birch, you know, there's great puns available there as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just tree stuff. I've been doing so a lot sounds, of yard work, but anyway. Just tree stuff. <laughs> sounds like you're, you're basing your answer mostly on who would have the best potential for puns. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I mean, Boucher's got a great name. He's just got a great name. Uh, there's the Canadian, the French tie in there. But uh, no, it's it's mostly because he can shoot from outside. Uh, a role player who can really get hot. He's had some 30-point games because he can get really, really hot. So it's a combination of puns and ability. Pun ability. 
so what's the most convincing argument that either you've read or you've heard from somebody that has the Raptors winning this series? I mean, it really is Pascal Siakam being the second best player and then the the depth that the Raptors have beyond uh, beyond Pascal Siakam just coming through. And, and by second best player, I mean second best player in the series. If, if he is clearly the number two player in this series, it's, you know, it's a knock against Harden to say that, but Harden hasn't shown that the last couple months. And so after they gave up Ben Simmons plus Andre Drummond plus Seth Curry, that really hurt their depth. And so the Raptors are, yeah, a team that does it, by committee, and so it would have to be Pascal setting everybody up and, and relying on three, four, five, six, seven being better than uh, the Sixers supporting cast, and, and it's it's believable. Uh, it's it's a it's a strange situation, you know, when you talk to your your Sixers supporter it, with Matisse Thybul and the fact that he's not going to be traveling, highly highly unlikely to Toronto for games three, four, and six. So I, I, that hurts their depth too, you know, to another level. And you're betting against the best player in the series, which isn't always that smart. But we have a recent example of the Raps doing it by committee against this team. And they had to get a lot out of Pascal Siakam. I mean, that is, that's, you know, it's asking him a lot. And uh, the worries about Fred being good enough are a worry. But I, I think they can... Yeah, chip in enough. Gary can have a, a huge game or two or three, and OG can hit from outside. So uh, th- I know the American media hasn't necessarily been watching the Raptors play basketball this year. A lot of people, I think, on s- state side are taking uh, Philly, and the, on the other side, they're taking Toronto because they've watched a really good team operate. So uh, the last game is carbon copy of what they have to do. They just have to yeah. get guys going two through eight and um, make Harden look ordinary. And I think Harden will start the series well historically he has but as the games go on um you know the hamstring injury is a, a worry and maybe just the reps defense as well as Harden just not looking great the last couple of months so that's my recipe a long-winded way to say uh, depth is really really important in this series so that brings us to the final question Tasmelis what is your prediction for this series I am taking the Toronto Raptors in six games. That's um, the safe way to do it. You know, they they come home and they win on home court in game number six uh, after obviously having to steal one at the very least in Philadelphia. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I don't like well, betting against guys who get MVP votes, but it's what it feels like right now. Will you travel back if they make it to a game six up three two? Ooh, maybe. Uh, I haven't looked at the schedule yet, um, but it's possible. It's possible. I'm not committing. I'm not. You know, sometimes uh, the, even the local games are getting me excited. Local for me, being in the South, uh, Memphis is pretty close. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I'm just I'm excited about basketball. Period. Like I'm ex- I, We got to go. Uh, to Memphis hosting Chicago on Martin Luther King Day and seeing John Person was special and it's a college yeah. atmosphere sort of in there. So it's it's a blast. But yes, I would I would adore going home for a for a quickie to to Toronto game. That's a good call. Three two might be the time to do it. 
Uh, how much does the the Raptors having a Gary on their team sway you? <laughs> Very much. Um, when okay. we lost Norman, it yeah. hurt. We lost Norman Powell, <laughs> so uh, Gary chipping it. Yeah, we were we were talking about that on our show for an extensive amount of time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> way too long. Uh, that there were only ten Garys born in the UK. We figured out in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Um, but there was about a hundred born in uh, in the U.S. and we've got one of them. That's right. Yeah. We got we're, we've got a Gary here, and that you, <laughs> that's something you should consider if you're trying to figure out who's going to win. Tass, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you're not listening to watching No Dunks, you're not doing basketball fandom right. Please go check that out. And uh, thanks so much, Tass. Thank you, guys. Keep up the amazing work. All right, and now it's time to look at it from the Sixers' perspective. And for that, we have Trill Bro Dude from the You Know Ball podcast. Trill, what's going on? Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Um, very nervous. Very nervous for this matchup, for sure. Well, maybe we, we can actually, a lot of these questions are only going to make you more nervous. <laughs> Starting with our <laughs> first one. We're not helping you here. <laughs> uh, so the last time Philly played Toronto in the playoffs, the Sixers were a plus 90 when Joel Embiid was on the court and a minus 109 when he was not. Is there any reason to be more optimistic about the non-Embiid minutes this season compared to 2019? To put it shortly, no. Um, to expand on that a little bit, it really depends on kind of what the version of James Harden that we get. One of the reasons why the Sixers struggled so much last time without Joel Embiid on the court is because they didn't really have anyone who could carry, even with Jimmy Butler playing as well as he did. Um, you know, I think a lot has been made of the backup center situation and it's not much better now, but at the time we were kind of just throwing whatever at the wall and hoping that something stuck. Um, at this point, if Doc Rivers plays DeAndre Jordan, uh, I have a fear that this series will be very quick. I think that he has been genuinely that bad uh, on the Sixers. He doesn't really have anything left in the tank. I'm hoping that since he said against smaller opponents he will be go going with Paul Reed, that that can remedy some of the you know woes that we've had. He he did struggle in that Raptors game, but it was also the first time he's played in like three months. So right now I don't feel great about the non Embiid minutes, but the hope is that Embiid has improved conditioning. He plays more this series and that James Harden and Paul Reed can save us from a uh, disaster. Yeah. I mean, if I you guess the, keep qu it the like question is like, do, do they have a big center in Toronto? Is the, is it a, do they have a big enough guy to warrant Deandre Jordan? That's, that's he, they don't. Do they Doc guys? has Doc backed himself into a corner with this. I feel like, and I feel like he's I still. I, I know. Don't you feel Trill like we're going to see some DeAndre Jordan minutes, even if it's like single digits? Do you really I believe mean, he history won't play says? Him? History says yes. Like that's like Doc. Doc says a lot of things and does a lot of other things. So it, yeah. it, you never really know what you can fully trust when it comes to what he says, especially about young players versus veterans, because his history has shown he will always, always, always trust the veteran over the young player. And 
with a few outliers, and even those outliers require context. Like people always point to the Shea Gilders Alexander thing and with the LA Clippers, and it's like, well, they had to trade away Avery Bradley so that he would play <laughs> right. Shea Gilders Alexander <laughs> over Avery Bradley, who mm-hmm, he was yeah. clearly much better than. The Tyrese Maxey situation this year, like Ben Simmons just literally was like, I'm not going to play for you. So they brought in Tyrese and they let him start, and you know, he figured it out. But like historically speaking, Doc always, always, always trusts the veteran over the the young guy. And until I see him play Paul Reed more minutes, I'm just going to go with my gut and say that we will see some DeAndre minutes during this series. And it's going to drive me insane. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So James Harden had a rough end of the regular season. And there seems to be several concerns about Harden heading into this series. Uh, His three ball has not been falling. He's been heavily relying on getting to the free throw line to generate points uh, while he's been in Philly. Uh, he's likely to be targeted by Toronto defensively. Uh, which of those concerns uh, is going to drive you the most crazy this series? So I think the three ball not falling is going to be the thing that would drive me the most nuts. Because if you watch the two Toronto games, if you watch James Harden really since the first five games that he played with the Sixers, the three ball just not falling kind of dictates how his scoring is going to go. Because because the fact that he can't get to the rim as much and he can't finish as well and because he he doesn't really have much of a mid-range game outside of that floater that he can sometimes rely on the three ball falling is incredibly important for his scoring arsenal because a lot of the times when the three ball isn't falling he falls back on the things that he's used to which are not working right now and in the playoffs especially Like, I don't know if you guys saw his free throw rate during the regular season, but it kind of breaks my brain. It's so high. Like with the Sixers, it's like over 80 percent, which would be by far (laughs) the highest free throw rate in NBA history. And you just can't really count on that kind of thing translating. But the one thing that I am hoping for here is the fact that every time that he's had a weak break and came back, he's looked considerably better for at least a few games. So my hope is that uh, the week off, the week and a half off that he's had will give him some time to, you know, get that hamstring better. And that will lead to maybe the shot falling more often and the finishing ability being better. So as everyone knows by now, Matisse Seibel will be unable to play in Toronto because of his vaccination status. How big of a deal is this? Like are Philly fans already writing off those games or does it still feel manageable? Um, I mean, I'm not as high on Matisse Thibel as a lot of Sixers fans are, I would say. I think a lot of people have a kind of a very high opinion of him. I think he's a fine player. I think that his offensive limitations will be it's kind of similar to the Andre Roberson situation with the Thunder years ago, where, you know, as great as he is defensively, he's gonna hamper a lot of things in the half court offensively and make your stars jobs a lot harder. And I think The fact that, you know, we're going up against a Toronto team that generally struggles in the half court to kind of generate a lot of points makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that, you know, we might be able to survive some time without him because I think the offense will be much better when he doesn't play. But at the same time, we're now relying on this version of Danny Green to be a perimeter defender. We're now relying on... Tobias Harris and guys who have just traditionally struggled to slow down other teams main options to be kind of shut down guys and that does scare me my hope is that Thibel I think Thibel is best coming off the bench as kind of a Swiss army knife type defender that can cause chaos 
get the team out running in transition after he causes turnovers, all that kind of stuff. And I'm hoping that, you know, obviously I think they will miss him in some capacity, but I'm hoping that the offense without him will be a lot better to the point where maybe some of the reasons why we miss him on defense won't hurt them as much. Mm-hmm. So we discussed reasons why this could be tough. It's been a uh, mostly negative conversation leading up to now. <laughs> let's let's shift positive. Which Sixers role player do you think is most likely to have a, a game named after them? Kind of like the PJ Brown game from 2008. So I think Maxie's probably too good at this point to really have yeah. that. I think that he will have a major impact on this series. In fact, I think he's a big X factor. But mm-hmm. I think a guy like George Niang would be someone that would be some The Niang just, game. The, we, we, we have the Niang game. The Niang gang is going crazy. I think that one of the things about this Sixers roster is that it is very flawed within its construction outside of the top guys. And one of the reasons is like, we have a lot of one way players, Matisse Thibel, someone I just mentioned who can bring you a lot on one end and doesn't bring you a lot on the other end. But George Niang is kind of the opposite of that, where offensively, he's going to bring you a lot in terms of like, you need him on the floor for his shooting, but defensively there, he's going to be targeted. And my hope is that once again, that the shooting is hot enough in a game or two where, you know, like I've seen games this year where Niang that specifically that Milwaukee Bucks game, I think of he shot uh, the one in Milwaukee recently. He shot like seven of nine from three. He had like over 20 points was absolutely unconscious. And my hope is that he can have a game or two like that. And because he'll probably only be playing somewhat spot minutes that the defensive uh, issues that he might present are, are not as uh, bad for the team. Okay, so what do you think is the most convincing argument for the Sixers winning this series? They have Joel Embiid. I mean, I ultimately, I think that I know that people harp a lot on Joel's, you know, struggles in the past, especially in elimination games. I think that, you know, it is hard to run an offense out of the post down the stretch of big playoff games, especially when you go up against a team like Toronto that has a bunch of defenders that they can throw at Joel. I think that historically they've given him a lot of problems, but I also think that this version of Joel Embiid is the best version of Joel Embiid. I think that offensively he's made strides as a playmaker and passer this year. I think defensively when he's locked in, he can still be one of the best defenders in the NBA. And the hope is that Maxi and Harden can ease some of that burden carrying the load on offense and that just having the top end talent, the best player in the series will put them over the top in this series and uh, they'll, they'll bring it home. And it also seems like Embiid is in a better position now to play major minutes because we've mentioned those non Embiid minutes in that Toronto series. Like going back through those game logs, he played more than 35 minutes once in that yep. seven game series. And you have to imagine that he's going to be playing more than 35 minutes in all of these games if he's able to. And it seems like he's in good shape to do that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was going into those playoffs injured was a big thing. Like, I think that a lot of people forget that he was he did not play for a good chunk of the, he didn't even start the postseason that year. He missed the first game, I believe the first two games of the net series, which we split and I think that he's talked about it himself is the not being injured all the time has been good for his conditioning. And the fact that he has been able to play like even towards the end of this regular season, he's been playing in the high 30s, sometimes low 40s in some of these games. And the hope is that you can win those minutes, survive the other minutes. And because 
you're ramping up his minutes so much that that will end up being the difference in the series. Because even if you look at the regular season matchups, like the last time we played Toronto, we won the Embiid minutes and we got crushed in the non-Embiid minutes. So the hope is that he can play 40 to 42 minutes a game. His conditioning is much better. We don't have to rely on other guys as much and that uh, we end up winning the series due to that. Okay, Trill Bro Dude, it's time to make your prediction on this series. What do you got? So if you follow my podcast, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I am not like a biased Homer guy. Like I think that uh, I would view the team more negatively than positively. Generally speaking, I don't really have like this rosy eyed view of, of, of the team. And I think that they are very flawed. I think that there are certain things that the Raptors can exploit, but ultimately I just think top end talent. I'm going to lean on that in terms of, what wins in the playoffs and i think that the sixers have the best player in the series and if we get a normal version of james harden you could argue i mean pascal siakam has been insane down the stretch of the season i don't want to take any way anything away from him but you could argue that they have the best two players in the series if james harden is even somewhat normal so i'm gonna go sixers and seven i think that the raptors can definitely push them i would not be surprised if the raptors won this series but i do think just for all the things that I said and the fact that I feel like this team is a little bit different in terms of what translates to the playoffs well uh, in terms of the half-court shot creation, just having perimeter creators in general that can ease the load off Joel Embiid. And I think they squeak by, and I feel pretty good about their second-round matchup if it's against the Miami Heat. Well, Trill, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go check out the You Know Ball podcast for more Sixers content. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, Al. Now that we have the opinions of two experts and two fans, which I think is just more fun to talk to fans sometimes. Do you, are you leaning one way or the other? We're going to make our picks here, but wh- whose argument was more convincing to you? Uh, honestly, it was my own argument. Um... <laughs> About, <laughs> no, I'm about, okay, about Embiid's playing time. Because I do think that yeah. is a huge deal. Like if he seriously is. is going to play 42 plus minutes per game, mm-hmm. I feel so much better about the Sixers chances. I mean, it can't be understated. Like in that series in 2019, he had two games where he played under 30 minutes, where he's playing like 25 minutes yeah, that is in wild. the game. That is wild. That is wild. And so if he's playing 42 plus minutes a night, and we know what they've done in those Embiid minutes, even this season against the Raptors, I feel like that top end talent will win out. And obviously there are legitimate concerns that we talked about. Like the James Harden thing yeah. is real. Like I really do wonder in those matchups against all of these long guys for the Raptors, will he be able to get by Mm -hmm. those guys or is he going to be forced into taking all these step back threes? And if they're not going down, that's obviously a huge issue, but it's still the MVP factor for me. He's, he is a credible MVP candidate in Mm -hmm. this league. I have to go with a player that is that good. And, and I have expectations that he's going to be that good in this series. So I do think it's going to go long. I'm with Trill. I'm going Sixers and seven. Sixers and seven. Okay. Uh, I've, one thing that we didn't really mention a whole lot, we kind of touched on it here and there, is just like the coaching matchup too. The Nick Nick Nurse yeah, versus it's Doc not Rivers. Great. It's not great, Andrew. It doesn't, doesn't feel good, <laughs> especially when Doc has these 
like anti Sixers weapons on his bench, like DeAndre. We we touched on that some, where it's just like, man, it is almost comical that he still has DJ, and he like stands for DJ en- enough to where he goes out of his way to make reporters feel stupid. We're trying to make them feel stupid about the DeAndre thing. Well, you can see, uh, like, you can see it even in our questioning. Like, it was kind of hard to come up with a negative question for the Raptors. Whereas like we were able to come up with so many negative questions for Philly and we didn't even, we didn't even bring up Doc Rivers. (laughs) We had another one in the chamber. We were just, we could, we could, we didn't even need. There's a lot in the chamber there. Uh, I'm going, I'm going with the Raptors. They, they have like a sincere home court advantage, especially getting to take Matisse out of the picture in Toronto. I think they get those games and then we're just talking about getting one in Philly. Like, can they surprise the the Sixers and get the first game? Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Raptors win in game one. Uh, and I don't know. There's just something about this Raps team. The vibes around this Raps team are really, really good. And they're unusual. They're unique to me. They're the kind of the perfect Nick Nurse team because they are such a weirdo team in that they, they don't play traditional lineups. They don't play traditional players. Uh, I'm going with Raps and six. I, I think that this Raptors team is going to start to rise in the Eastern Conference, and and this is the beginning. Okay, and and you got to let us know your other prediction. Will Tasmelis be in the building for that Game Six, Andrew? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say he won't be. I think he's going to he's going to stay. He's going to stay uh, in the classic factory. Wow, and, interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right after this break, we are going to talk about the next juiciest series we're going to talk about the nets celtics right after this spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days i know i'm looking outside right now sun's out birds are chirping it's time to start getting outside Uh, i know that i like to get outside and play basketball with my kids and honestly i need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys and peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, Al, it's time to take a look at another very, very juicy series in the Eastern Conference. It's the Brooklyn Nets against the Boston Celtics. And with us to break down the series, we've got Brian Egan of the Glue Guys podcast. Brian, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. A joy. A joy to be here. First of all, vibe check. How are we feeling as a Nets <laughs> fan? What are, what are your feelings going into this series? Oh my gosh! Um, I actually I've been thinking about this because I was up I was up late last night um, pondering deeply what I would say to the national audience <laughs> as a guy who's just been inundated with nothing but Nets basketball for too long. Um, and like the Nets are a weird team always, but this has just been the weirdest season. On top of it, it's like I can't even explain to you how the whiplash of going from like the expectation to roll out of bed and win a championship to um, where where we are, which is I don't even know where. Um, so, I mean, Nets fans, survivalists that they are, uh, have convinced themselves that we're, we're super good. Um, and, you know, that's a big contingent uh, of, of the fan base. Um, I am – I'm less certain. I'll say that. I'm less certain. Um, Smelt on our, on our podcast came in Nets at six. I really like just kind of tiptoed into Nets at seven, which is you never want to be like picking in seven anyways. It's just not a it's not a confident look. Um, But but uh, yeah, I mean, the way that I kind of describe what the Nets are right now is like we I don't know if you guys play like Elden Ring or or Dark Souls or any of these (laughs) any of these games. (laughs) So I I think the Nets right now are like a really like trolley boss in Elden Ring like that can either come in it's like an ogre with like a mutated like there's Goran Dragic sticking out of his shoulder and like LaMarcus Aldridge out of his <laughs> shin and then he's got a club which is Kevin Durant and he can like one shot kill you with that or it can like glitch into a wall and you can dodge roll behind his butt and just like <laughs> jab him in the ankle till he dies <laughs> like, that's sort of how I feel about the Nets right now <laughs> uh, so the Nets yeah. were a bottom 10 defense this year according to cleaning the glass Outside of the potential Ben Simmons hope, is there mm. anything else that leads you to believe that this defense can improve in the playoffs? There's a little bit. I mean, in the last two months, they, I think, rank somewhere in like the middle uh, in terms of defensive rating. Like the, the problem with the Nets, too, is that if you're going to use data to analyze them, there's like it's been three chapters of data. So like yeah. you have to kind of look at it as like the Harden epoch and then the really crazy like post KD injury Harden only with like, you know, Kessler Edwards uh, mm-hmm. epoch, which was those were some dark days. And then now where we have the KD and Kyrie epoch, which, you know, there's a little bit of evidence to suggest that they can, you know, turn it up when it matters. Um, obviously, I, I think on like on a quarter to quarter basis, that's where their their like issues really lie. And it's kind of like lame to say, but it feels to me like they can do it, but it's a consistency thing. It's a, you know, sustained effort, you know, all those memes. Uh, they don't have a lot of those type of like culture 
qualitative things figured out yet. So like yeah. it kind of goes all over the map for me, but I do think there's a little bit of evidence to suggest that like, okay, maybe they can be at least adequate for the playoffs. And if Ben Simmons does return in this series, which, you know, <laughs> there was a report that he might be back sometime between game four and game six. Then KD says that he's not expecting him back, but that might just be to not put any pressure on him. What are your expectations at this point? Do you have any expectations if he came back? I, I mean, I really, again, like it's tough because I don't want to, I don't, it's hard to even factor Ben Simmons <laughs> yeah. into my analysis of any of this. Cause it's like a kaleidoscope of X factors. He yeah. like, whether he comes back as an X factor, he himself is sort of an X factor star role player kind of player. And then he also has in that like X factors of his health and, you know, all the sort of things that the baggage that comes with that. So it's really hard to have a confident analysis and what Ben Simmons actually means for this team. Um, people are bullish on the fact that he can just like come back and just, you know, D up Tatum or Giannis like right away. And that feels very optimistic to me that that feels pretty um, hopeful. Uh, so... <laughs> If, if any part of your game is back, I guess that's the one, you know, you don't need to be like fully integrated. We have a, we already don't have a super disciplined defense. So like adding another good defender without sort of needing to fit him into a system that doesn't exist is I guess a good net, net benefit. But, um, it's really hard for me to be optimistic about the Ben Simmons situation on any level, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. So knowing how much the Celtics switch on defense, how do you anticipate the Nets will attack Boston? Uh, is this just trying to get Horford on a switch? Like, what does this look like? Dude, it is so like it's we have two things and we've always had two things. Like first, it was the James Harden abomination pick and roll with Nick Claxton that just like the first 10 games of the season, we tried to hammer that circle shape into a square hole like it just wasn't like ever looking good for whatever reason James Harden like just wasn't James Harden to start the season and kind of continues to struggle um now our version of that is using like Bruce Brown like weirdly as a he's a super uh high usage guy and like zone busting um Mm -hmm. which is crazy to say but that's effectively like I think like looking at that last Cavs game, the play in is a really good microcosm of what the Nets like can be like they can use some of their assets really smart way in really smart ways. Like Bruce Brown can be a really deft playmaker from uh, the like elbow in a weird way. Cause he has that, that floater that's so unorthodox that nobody you're like, even though, you know, that's the only thing he can do. You're still like, I don't believe you're going to take that shot. And then he does it and it goes in more often than not. Uh, and then he's also like a pretty capable dump down passer in that spot. So like, that's one version of what we do, but then we totally lose sight of that almost immediately. Like, and in a lot of ways, this team is a a proxy for Kevin Durant's basketball ethos at large. You know, like he – I think he is – his religion is bucket getting. Like he yeah. just is a – like he respects – I think it's why he ultimately respects Kyrie as much as he does because like of the two bucket getters in the NBA, they they, mo- they might be the most bucket getty. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and they uh, – and so like we lose sight of any of our attempts to like do anything interesting uh, – occasionally we'll run like a capital P play for like Patty Mills where like he'll careen off of too many screens. And it's just the most like over overwrought, like offensive set you've ever seen. And like, it almost never works. And then Kevin Durant's like enough of that. I, I I'm back to bucket getting. <laughs> and that's, mm-hmm. and that's basically what we do, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the worst because it is Kevin Durant and that's, you know, a nuclear weapon in basketball. Um, so, but it's just spamming the Kevin Durant, 
bucket getting button uh, over and over again. For better or worse. So you may have already answered this because you mentioned Bruce Brown, but outside of Katie and Kyrie, which Nets player do you think is most important to their success in the series? Like who needs to have a great series for the Nets to win? Yeah, I mean, Bruce Brown for me is, it's so weird to say, but he's like such a linchpin at the moment uh, in so many ways. But I also think like Nick Claxton is a very uh, relevant player to our overall success. Like he he goes under the radar and like sometimes occasionally like some some dork will come on who like, you know, analyzes defenses super having like, hey, guys, look at this dude. His switch, his ability to switch onto guards is basically unparalleled for a dude his size. And it's true. We uh, like there's very few players that I can like geek out on watching defense um, on the way that I can in Nick Claxton uh, because the the Celtics are so wing scoring based, uh, for, for the most part. Uh, I actually think he's like incredibly important. Um, the problem is Nash doesn't always go to him or, and he may not go to him very much at all in the series and may just like run Drummond the entire, you know, series because Nash is incredibly unpredictable in that way. Um, so, you know, maybe he doesn't factor in that much, but I kind of weirdly think that Nick Claxton represents a disproportionate sort of X factor value. So which Nets role player is most likely to have an, a game. I'm having trouble saying this, a game named <laughs> after them. Uh, mm. Like like the PJ Brown game of two thousand eight. Sure, um, <laughs> uh, that's a funny one because we really do, we stopped having players other than Kevin Durant, Kyrie having <laughs> yeah. have games. <laughs> this is kind of a, it is kind of a tough yeah. one. Nets. Like we used to have Patty Mills games, uh, but that stopped like a long time ago. Feels like. Yeah. Um, I do. I think like part of like having a game means that it's it's somewhat unexpected, and I've noticed Goran Dragic like percolating a little bit, and people you know he's been in and out of the rotation and uh, with injury stuff or COVID stuff. Um, but I feel like part of that question is like who's just sort of the fringe rotation guy who could just like kind of go off and have a moment. And I still do think Goran has a little bit of playoff juice left in the tank, uh, just based on like a little bit of what I've seen recently. That's a good one. No, I like that. So what do you think is the most convincing argument for the Nets winning this series? Like, what do you fall back on convincing yourself? So here's my, my, and this is a very qualitative argument. It's very like, you know, Skip Bayless-esque, but like I have a, um, having watched Kevin Durant play that series against the Bucks last year, like we as Nets fans are not used to hyper competitors at all. We've, we've like Vince Carter was our, you know, hyper competitor for a long time. So like we had, we were missing, um, whatever, like, you know, primal force that propels like a, a true competitor into that kind of like upper echelon, uh, style like moment. And that book series was like awe inspiring. It was like, incredible to watch how close we came to winning and how banged up every, everyone not named Kevin Durant was and just how like through sheer force of will, he kind of like, he just brought it to within inches, um, literally. So this is not a great argument, but it's just like having watched Kevin Durant, like truly go like, like seppuku, like sacrifice himself on, on the court. I'm like, I don't know that Jason Tatum has that gear, that like sixth, seventh gear to where it's self-destructive kind of competitor, uh, level. And for that reason alone, I do kind of give like Kevin Durant the, the nod over the Celtics in the series. I don't know. I, I've also like gone around 
to each uh, team's subreddits and stuff, and everyone's like hyper convinced that they're going to like steamroll the other team. So it's like yeah. <laughs> it's it's really uh, difficult to say, and I'm having a really hard time. But I, I know for that reason alone, I've I've gone Nets in seven here. That's what I've done. Okay, that's your official prediction: Nets in seven. That's it. I'm in. Lock okay. it in. Yeah, lock in that baby yeah. in. Uh, Brian, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the pod. Go listen to the Glue Guys podcast. A really really fun podcast mina kimes favorite nets podcast i know it's it's big it's big thank Uh, you guys so much for having me so so fun thanks brian yeah thanks brian all right now let's turn to the boston celtics and to do that we have sam jam packard from the anything is potable podcast sam thanks for joining us thank you for having me uh so first question bruce brown gave the celtics some bulletin board material after the Cavs game when he said that the nets could attack Horford and Tice with Robert Williams out. How confident are you that the Celtics can maintain their defensive dominance in this series with Time Lord's status up in the air? Fairly confident. I mean, I think they're switching defense, which has been the staple of what they've done this entire year and why they've been so good, especially the last three months of the season, hasn't really changed. And I think the numbers with Tice and Horford have remained pretty consistent. I just don't see the Nets really being able to attack the paint. Like that just doesn't feel like the Nets go to strategy here. It feels like the Nets are going to have to shoot over the Boston Celtics and it's going to be a lot of KD and Kyrie. Like we saw in the play-in game, they were getting a lot of that four-on-three action with Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton dunking and it was mm-hmm. the beauty of the Celtics lineup and they're huge and they can switch through one through five. And so I think we're going to get a lot of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving isolating on Tice and Horford, but I don't think it's going to necessarily come at the basket. It's going to be beating those guys uh, over the top at the perimeter. Um, so I I was thankful that Bruce Brown said those uh, words and I thankful that Kevin Durant kind of reprimanded him in public. That was an, uh, a fun moment as well, um, but I'm still yeah. fairly confident in the Celtics defense. So the Celtics appear to have a clear advantage when they're on the offensive end because the Nets have a a bottom 10 defense this season. What, if any, concerns do you have about the Celtics offense? It's got to be just shooting uh, outside. It feels like the strategy to beat the Celtics is get the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands. And he's done much better this year in terms of making the right decision and making the right passes. But there have been some games where he's made the right decision every time. And then... Derek White just doesn't make a three or whoever the ball swings to um, just doesn't knock down that open three. And so I think if there's any concern, it's just the Celtics lack of like knockdown shooters to uh, kind of make makes teams punish when they overload on Tatum. Yeah. So so outside of Tatum and Brown, like who do you think is most important for Boston success? Like who needs to have a good series for Boston to win? I don't think there's one guy. I think someone of the group of Grant Williams, Marcus, Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, just someone needs to step up and knock down a three-pointer. Like if they get five three-pointers yeah. from outside their big two, it's like even that will go a long way. So I think it really could be Marcus Smart. We've done like a, he's done a really good job passing the ball. And if he doesn't like just launch threes, but if it's like any of the guys three through seven can knock down five to six threes a game, I feel like the Celtics will will walk away with it. It's really just, um, can they do that? They've done a really good job of sharing the basketball and like passing up good shots to get great shots, uh, especially like the last two months. 
Um, it's just when it gets to slow it down, kind of slower postseason basketball in the half court. And, you know, Grant Williams bricks his four shots from the corners. Like, does the team get frustrated? Then does like it kind of get more difficult? And then does Tatum start forcing things? So which Celtics role player is most likely to have a game named after them? Kind of like the PJ Brown game of 08. I think, well, it, it could always be Marcus Smart, but I feel like Marcus Smart is too much of a wild card. Like, isn't he already had a Marcus Smart game against the Raptors where he hit like 11 threes? He's capable of doing that at any yeah. time. I think he's too obvious of a pick. So I'm going to go with Peyton Pritchard. The guy is shooting Ooh, yeah. over 40% this year from three. He just is fearless. He has a lot of deep range. He's automatically like, I just think someone the Nets are not really thinking about, but I think he has a chance and has in the past gotten really hot. And I think he could hit five threes in a game. And then that swings the entire game for the Celtics. Yeah, that's a good pick. So what do you think is the most convincing argument for the Celtics winning this series? Either something you've heard or just your own feelings about the series. I just think the Nets can't play defense. And I think like at the end of the day, as good as KD and Kyrie can be, you can even give them 50 points each. I just think it, when it comes down to it, the Nets don't have a like a, a five-man lineup that works on both ends of the court. They have you they can put in more defensive-minded players, and then you basically have guys you can help off of and just crowd the paint against KD and Kyrie. Or if you try to surround KD and Kyrie with shooters, you're basically putting Seth Curry or Patty Mills out on the court or Goran Dragic. All guys I think the Celtics can attack. I think the there's no go good go-to lineup for the Nets. And I feel like the Celtics have pretty much a solid rotation, eight deep that they can rely on, who's been playing amazing basketball for three months. And I know the regular season doesn't matter anymore, but damn it, it should. Like there has to be some value <laughs> for playing the most dominant basketball for three months. There has to be something where it's like the Celtics can either rely on that in tough moments or have built up good habits or sharing the basketball well or trust each other. There has to be something that uh, that you gain from playing just the most dominant basketball a team has played since the 96 Bulls uh, for like a three month stretch. So I think there's like just the the Celtics depth, continuity, versatility of having very much eight guys go up against. Kevin Durant, like, like, to be honest, guys, Kevin Durant still scares me. He's Kevin Durant. Like, I'm, fair, yeah. <laughs> I'm fairly confident in the series. All the logic points to it. It's like, it's like, yeah, Kevin Durant would probably need to score average 50 in this series uh, for the Nets to win. And I'm like, if anyone can average 50 in a series, it's probably Kevin Durant. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the best way to end your most convincing <laughs> argument for the S. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Jam, you got to give us your prediction, your official prediction for this series. Celtics in five. I Whoa! think they're going to make it. Woo! <laughs> They're just objectively a way better basketball team. And we've seen <laughs> people forget. We didn't mention the entire uh, all of these past uh, portions or questions. Jason Tatum exists. Jason Tatum has outdueled yeah. Kevin Durant in this season. And people talk about, oh, Kevin Durant can go off for 50. Jason Tatum is just as capable as going off <laughs> for 40 points in a series. Plus, he has the entire team infrastructure around him. I just think that like it's everyone's relying on the best player in the series. Jason Tatum is a, not as good a basketball player as Kevin Durant, but he is 
in what if we're, we're at the athletics, we don't rank players, but he's in the next tier below that <laughs> where he's yeah. and he's only gotten better this season. I think people are just ignoring the fact that Jason Tatum can easily go like in a duel with Kevin Durant. And then we have the entire team infrastructure behind that. I just think the Celtics, they're playing amazing defense. They're playing even better offense over the kind of last month. And then they still have Jason Tatum. And so the Nets are going to force feed KD and Kyrie. I just, they're when are they ever going to get stops? Like they have to shoot over the Boston Celtics for consistently to get points. And I just don't think the, I just don't think the Nets have it this year. Oh, I love the energy and I love the pick uh, that I haven't been. I've, I've been pumped up about a lot of things in my life, but I just got really pumped up. About that, that was definitely our strongest take of the day. I feel I feel really I feel really good now. Uh, Jam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go listen to Anything is Potable on the Athletic Podcast Network. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. OK, Al. So it's time for us to make our predictions. We've heard the argument from Brian Egan of the Glue Guys. We've heard the argument from Sam Jam Packard from Anything is Potable about the Celtics. And I, whenever we started these interviews, my feeling was I can be swayed by either one of these guys. And you know what? Sam Packard's argument, maybe it's not even the arguments that he made, but the pick that he made, just, I was leaning Celtics slightly before this. I'm, I'm picking Celtics. I'm not going to pick them to five. <laughs> Let me be clear. I will not pick them in five, but I think they could win in six or seven. And I, I, I have seen a different version of Jason Tatum this season too. Like he just, he plays like he is the man and has for a little while, but it just feels a little bit different. Uh, and so I think that's a huge piece of this puzzle because I, I do think that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are being underrated in some way just because they aren't Kyrie and KD. Oh boy, I yeah. His, his prediction really threw me off. Gave me a lot of anxiety, <laughs> a lot of anxiety. Because I, I was, I was. It gave it gave you the opposite feeling. Of, yeah, of me, I guess. Because yeah. <laughs> because when we talk about that, I keep coming back to that Nets Buck series. Because yeah, this Nets team, obviously last year, like Kyrie played a couple games and then was out. James Harden had the hamstring issue. Like that was not as strong of a Nets team as this year's Nets team even with all their flaws this year. Like, this is a stronger team than that. I think the part that I'm forgetting, though, is that, like, the Bucks did not put their best foot forward in that series. I remember so many times yeah, in that series that thinking to myself, like, this is the dumbest good team I've ever watched. Like, they just keep uh -huh. shooting themselves in the foot in just, like, the most absurd ways. And so, yes, Kevin Durant was, like, transcendent in that series and almost got the win there. But based on how, and this goes back to what Sam was talking about, like that regular season dominance for the Celtics has to mean something. It, it wasn't just they were good. Mm -hmm. They were rolling good teams, like just destroying yeah. them. And yes, Time Lord is out, but I, I think I am going to bet on the Celtics being a little bit more consistent in mm -hmm. their first round series as opposed to the Bucks last year. So I'm going to go with the Celtics, but... I'm going in seven. I'm not touching five. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't touch five either, but I love it. I, that got me super pumped. Uh, thanks so much for tuning into the Saturday Slam and Jam. The playoffs are here. It's going to be so fun. Be sure to leave us a five star Apple Podcast review and we will read it on the podcast. Enjoy the playoffs and we will talk to you guys again 
next week.